This is our first session now on Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. Let me read it, and we're just going to focus on what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is very important. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, Father, as we try to understand what it means to grieve your Holy Spirit so that we may be sure to avoid it, and what it says about you, that you can be grieved, teach us. We want to know you rightly and love you, and obey you, and not grieve you. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason I say this is so important is because there's a doctrine, and I'll I'll mention it, you may not even run into it anywhere, but it's called impassibility. The impassibility of God. Impassible means not able to experience passions. Now, it's a very controversial doctrine, not because it's false, because it's hard to understand. And it feels like we're denying lots of scripture if you say God can't have feelings or passions, since he is said all over the Bible to experience different kinds. And here is an example. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is God's Spirit, and He is being grieved. So, what do we mean, or what are we trying to protect if we say God is impassible? Should we even say that? What we're trying to say is this God can never be the victim of his own emotions. They can't sneak up on him like they do on us, right? Tears will come to our eyes sometimes, and we don't, where did they come from? And we get angry when something happens, not because we decided to get angry, it just happened to us. We are very much in the control of our emotions until we do something to, to overcome them. God does not get knocked around, overcome, victimized, controlled by his emotions. That's the fundamental thing we are denying, and that also implies God is not at the uh, beck and call of, of evil provoking him to anger or provoking him to grief, as though he could be controlled from outside. In other words, not only victimized by his emotions, but by others, other people, or Satan, who cause those emotions by doing something. We're going to talk about that next time. What are they doing? What, what must we, what have they done, or what might they do to grieve the Holy Spirit? That's next time. I just want to linger now on what is this experience like for God, and how can we avoid dishonoring God by treating him as one who can be grieved without saying he's the victim of his own emotions or the victim of other people who cause those emotions.
So uh, to, to be grieved is what? I've been thinking of, I, I would say it's something like you're grieved if something you loved, something that was precious to you, uh, goes away, is taken away. A loved one is taken away, or some, something you hoped in was taken away. So there's a sense in which God shares our experience of loss when he loses, in this case, probably honor from us, obedience from us, love from us, faith in us. He doesn't just get angry, he also gets grieved. Jesus experienced it like this, and he said to those, is it lawful to, to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They were silent. Can you believe that? What an easy question. <laughs> like, to, to save life or to kill? That's hard and it's not hard, and they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger grieved. So it is possible to have both kinds of emotion. So when we say that the Holy Spirit is grieved, we don't mean that he's not capable of other very serious emotions at the very same time. Second thing to think about here, besides the impassibility of God, which we'll stay with in just a moment, is doesn't this imply that the Holy Spirit is, is a person? And I want to just briefly underline that massive reality that in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this is one of those places where the Holy Spirit is shown to be personal. He can have these kinds of experiences. Just to underline that from Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit, I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will send you another helper. Now, that's another helper. So, the Holy Spirit is in view here. We'll see that in a minute. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. I'm with you, and I'll be with you by the Spirit. So, there's another helper coming here, that sounds very much like a person is coming, or it's even clearer here a few verses later in John 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, the Father is going to send in my name the Holy Spirit, he will teach you. So now we have this person teaching. So he's helping and he's teaching all things and brings to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So those few pointers to underline the fact that the Holy Spirit here is being treated as a person. Now, back to impassibility. You might get the impression that if, if God can be grieved, if the Spirit can be grieved, then our sins, referred to in the you know, four sins, stealing and lying and speaking foul-mouthed, if that can grieve the Holy Spirit, then is the Holy Spirit not in control of his people? Do they do things that sneak up on him and disappoint him? 
Now, that would be a mistake because in Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For as you are working it out, it is God most fundamentally who is at work in you to do that willing and to do that working that you are working out for his good pleasure. Underneath our working and doing and our failing to work and do is God's will and God's work. Here it is again in Hebrews 13.21. May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He works in us. So, if we sin and grieve the Spirit, it's not because he didn't see this coming. It's because as God, he permitted it. And when God permits something, he sees it ahead of time, and he ponders, I'm speaking in a human way here, whether it would be wise or advisable here to permit what they are about to do that will grieve me. And God decides, yes, I will permit this, and all his permissions are wise. And therefore, God is never taken off guard by our sins that grieve him. We must never think that God sees us do something, wishes he could stop it, can't stop it, we do it, and he's grieved. It never works like that. He's God. He never is surprised by anything you do. He is the one who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, so that if you sin, he has lifted his hands and permitted you to sin exactly in accord with what he knows is going to happen. And therefore, he permits, say it like this, he permits wisely, according to perfect plan. Therefore, there is a sense in which he's not grieved in the big picture, though he is in the small picture. Now, I'm almost done. I'm going to try to put this together in a picture for you um, that has helped me. This is very mysterious. I'll do my best. God is able, the Holy Spirit is able to look at any act, our sin, say, through two lenses, one a narrow lens, and two a wide-angle lens. When God looks at our sin through the narrow lens, say bitterness, wrath, anger, which he has permitted, In and of itself, this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, this clamor, this slander is contrary to his command and is a loss of something he should have, namely obedience and worship. And in this narrow lens, it is grievous to him. God is able to experience similar to us, though not identical because he's never victimized by 
his emotions. He's able to experience things like us, like grievous here. If he looks at it, so if the lens opens and he takes this into consideration with the entire scope of redemptive history from eternity to eternity and how it fits into your day, how it fits into your week, your month, your life, your eternity, he sees it as wise and he approves of it. Here's a text to show you what I mean. So, when Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament sold him into slavery, they were doing evil and they were grieving God. But it says here in Genesis 45, 5 and 8, 5 to 8. Now do not be distressed. Joseph is talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Years later, he's saying, or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me. So when you sold me and sinned in the process, it was God ordaining and permitting this sin. He sent me before you to preserve life. That's wisdom. I said when, when God, God's permissions are his wisdom. He sent me here, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. And therefore, you get this famous statement in Genesis 50. As for you, you brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So I'm trying to paint the picture down here with this image of two lenses. That when God looks through the narrow lens of brothers selling their brother sinfully into slavery, God can regard that as grievous. He can grieve. And if he opens his lens to see the entire picture of decades, he knows this was a wise permission on his part, and he's not grieved by it. So at the very same time, with regard to the very same event, God is grieving and not grieving. Now, if that sounds paradoxical, it is. It's not contradictory. God is complex. And I would just end by saying, if God were a stone and nothing that happened to him moved him in any way like this, he would be glorious in one sense, but not another. He'd have, he would be rising above all those emotions and not controlled by them. But if he were a leaf and only experienced things like this, the way we do, blown around, so a stone that feels nothing, a leaf that gets blown with every, every emotion, he wouldn't be as glorious as he is because he experiences both. He's stone-like in that he's not the victim of his emotions or of our control of his emotions, and he's not leaf-like in that he gets blown about. He can experience grief-like emotions and yet not in such a way 
that he's turned into a leaf. The, the greater glory is that God does experience things like this. And yet the doctrine of impassibility, namely that he can't be the victim of others or of his emotions, is crucial.